You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tuda Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show, Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh, yes. La buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent, you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals plus they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs especially when those unexpected turns come up it's the personalized attention you can count on aprende más en es.statefarm.com como un buen vecino state farm está allí this is an official download from the custardtv.com it's the custard tv podcast um, the podcast that you can find at thecustardtv.com. Most podcasts have a tagline or something they say. We don't have that at all, do we? We need to come up with something. We've been doing this for nearly 10 years. We need a tagline. Because all I well, say you, is... For a while, you were doing the podcast for TV Obsessives, run by yeah. TV Obsessives. You did that for a while. That was quite good. Do you like that? Yeah. Shall, I bring, shall I bring that back? Do you think people will be going, <laughs> oh, it's nice to hear him say that well, again? If you want our catchphrase, it's our catchphrase. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am Luke, editor of the website I just spoke of, thecustomtv.com. Matt sometimes writes for it as well. And in fact, he I has do. been for the last six weeks covering Line yeah, of Duty. D- don't get used to it and sarah uh is in the brummy area and is back on the podcast by my demand this week i am indeed yeah and i'm here for buckles <laughs> don't get me started on that again <laughs> when we did the last podcast with the, the the normal trio the the trio of days gone by the the ogs we... as they <laughs> the ogs not, not the ocgs but the ogs um the, o- the OGs on the OCGs, that's what we should have called that podcast last week. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, as they say. <laughs> now, what I was going to say was we were sort of guessing what the online public news reaction would be, and I think we got it spot on. I mean, Gogglebox you were did it absolutely bang on. Gogglebox was just a disaster. I <laughs> loved it. Gogglebox's opinion is pretty universal and I, matches what people said on online last I, week. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated because I can't stop tweeting petty little man uh, Jed McHugh. Yeah, do you, time. do you remember when you said last week, I don't know what I'm going to do on t- I think you might have said this off, off, off no, mic. No, I didn't. But, I, but, I said, how should I behave on Twitter and then completely ignored your opinion. Yeah, Sarah, what was your opinion on, on, the, on the finale? I don't know whether I'm easily pleased or what, but you I are, thought it was all right. Look how, look how easy you come back to this. Obviously, really yeah. <laughs> if Buckles was not a Brummy, would you have enjoyed it as much? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was playing the hometown advantage yeah. for me, I think. I if mean, we've, was... had, we've had um, mayoral elections this week, and I'm 
disappointed that I wasn't able to put Buckles down as my writing candidate. <laughs> Do you know, I've said this on Twitter, if you don't follow me on Twitter, say you only hear me on this podcast. You're missing 50% of my goodness by that. But if you, if you only hear me on this podcast, I didn't mind the reveal as much. I've made my peace with the reveal because that was never going to please anybody. It was just a silly thing that he shouldn't have started. My issue with yeah, that is how is how damp it was, how flat it was, yeah. how there wasn't a single moment of excitement. And how the Gail Vella thing was just explained in a sentence or two. It was ignored. It was the, yeah. the whole crux of the start of the series. And then it was basically like, oh, well, we're sorted now. And for him to say, oh, well, the focus group really liked it. And actually, it did really well in the ratings. Unfortunately, doing really well in the ratings isn't a marker of, of a good programme. It's why most of the number one singles are terrible songs. Because <laughs> people just Hold go on. out and buy them. We're getting to old man shouts at cloud territory here now. <laughs> No, I'm shouting at two friends. You're right, it was a damp squib. I did think there was quite a bit of anti-Brummy sentiment about Buckles, um, but it was a bit of a damp squib. I see what they're saying about, you know, it wasn't uh, a sort of mastermind behind it. It was just the last man standing. And that's kind of how corruption works, isn't it? It's it's not planned. It's just bad people doing things for money. Yeah, and people had to explain that to you online afterwards. I don't don't think they did a good job of explaining that in the show. You know, that was the subtext. Mm. And actually, you know, if that was what they'd been leading to, they were making you believe it was like, you know, a big thing. And they have been building towards this for several series that there's going to be someone at the top of the tree. And then it's sort of the person at the the bottom of the rung. And then afterwards, everyone is saying, Oh well, that wasn't the point. It was the point was that you know you'll never get to the bottom of this. You are completely right. If you have to, if you have to explain the subtext outside of the program, the confines of the program, then you've not done particularly good writing, have you? C minus, see me. Go back to the back of the class and think about what you've done. (laughs) I think the thing as well with Buckles is he's sort of an occasional character. Not one who's made a big impression to the fact yeah. that when we talked about the first episode, Gary didn't realise that he'd been in it before. You know, he was in, what, series one, series four in this series. It's mm-hmm. it's not like, for example, like Jill in the last series, who had been quite a prominent presence, hadn't she? You know, she's had the subplot where she tried to woo Ted. You know, Buckles is like a middle management type pl- copper who's just been around the in the background, yeah. on the periphery, had a couple of scenes, so... There wasn't that investment in that character prior to the reveal either, I think. I think it just being someone so insignificant that we, you know, that we hadn't really spent that much time with outside of the confines of like these investigations where he was sort of a small fish that I think that was part of the reason as well, that it didn't have that impact because it wasn't a character that we particularly knew that well. So insignificant that we've kind of forgotten about him. <laughs> that's that's not good writing either. <laughs> if you want to hear our true thoughts on Line of Duty, you can either peruse my Twitter feed or you can listen to the podcast the OGs did about the unveiling of the OCG, uh, the prior episode, episode 307 of the Custard TV podcast. How are we all anyway? How are you, Sarah? I'll ask you first. Just a little tiny bit fragile. Last night was a bit of a rager. <laughs> Was it just you on the gym? No, it wasn't. It was actually a very thoughtful birthday gift from my friend Kerry. She booked us an online gin tasting. So this little gift box of gins and and mixers and stuff arrived. And then we did a Zoom with this mixologist who taught us about gin and stuff. And 
we did that we watched Gogglebox and then there might have been more gin that was not in the kit that was already in my house and then suddenly it was half past two (laughs) that was a very clever anecdote because what you cleverly put in at the start there was that it was a birthday gift and now Matt and I feel terrible and we have to mention happy birthday to you. <laughs> when was it your birthday, Sarah? It was my birthday a few weeks ago, so this was okay. like a while so. I you then, I don't really know. Then, <laughs> well, you know, I was on the podcast two weeks ago. You could have you could have sent us a present then. Being on the podcast is, is tantamount to a birthday present in itself, surely. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I thought there was going to be a longer silence than there was then. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought you'd finish the call at that point. <laughs> just walked away. <laughs> In disgust. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. Matt, any interesting stories for you? I've got a new job starting soon and I'm. it's, it's for the police. Lovely. I should say that. And not the sting band. Are you going to be our buckles? <laughs> nope. It's, it's basically doing what I do now, but for the police rather than children's services. So it's just okay. sort of I'm in the same building as I am in the mo- in at the moment, but just doing what I do. You know, more money basically as part of the the vetting process for the police. They have asked for. Uh, both my Facebook and Twitter handles, and now I'm desperately <laughs> thinking. Have, have I- <laughs> What are they going to unearth? And I think it's just going to be really boring tweets about TV, I think. Wow, that's quite scary, a vetting process. I went through one for my current job because we are in a police building. So any, yeah. you know, to get access to a police building, you need to be vetted. But this is mm-hmm. slightly higher level of vetting because it, I'm actually working for the police now. That's a bit worrying, though, because if, they, if the police were properly good at the job, they could find you without asking you for all your details. And then you wouldn't have chance to delete anything or remove anything yeah. that was... Yeah, but that would be data protection then, Luke. You oh, get into... God. So does that mean you can't tell us any exciting police-related stories no, on the again, podcast in the coming weeks? data protection. <laughs> it's hardly worth you having that job if it's not going to lead to podcast content. <laughs> no, well, like when I did the, the, the post office anecdotes you used to Yeah, love. see, I miss those. That was a proper slice of working class life that I feel we've lost. <laughs> I'm just working my way through all the British institutions, you see, because I've done now the count, the council, the post office, and now the police, so I think yeah. it'll be the NHS now. Yeah. Oh, the NHS, oh, that's very topical. Just so you know, just in case you do, I would clap for you. <laughs> it would be it would be a slow clap, <laughs> and it would be ironic. But I would clap for you. Let's talk about TV in a in a way. We've got four shows this week. Fargo returns to Channel Four on Sunday. Inside Number Nine returns to BBC Two on Monday. The Pursuit of Love takes the line of duty slot on BBC One on uh, Sundays, and Three Families takes the thing that was on on Monday, slot on Mondays at 9 o'clock on BBC. But it's also on Tuesday. (laughs) Where do we want to start? Can we start with Three Families? Because this is the one that I've watched most recently. It's made me most cross. (laughs) So let's do that. And then we've got some more sort of 
humorous chases at the end of the towards the end of the episode. So as you say, three families in Northern Ireland. Um, the women that we're introduced to in this one um, are Teresa, her daughter Orla, and the other family is Hannah and James Kennedy. Orla is a 15-year-old who has gotten pregnant with a very unpleasant, violent boyfriend and she just desperately wants an abortion. She wants to end the pregnancy. She wants to go back to school, do her exams, go to university. She's got a future mapped out and a baby is, is not part of that future for her. Um, Teresa is conservative, religious, I think, and she considers abortion to be a mortal sin. But she does help her daughter to try and end this pregnancy because her family is more important to her than her religion. And she has to sort of grapple with that a little bit. Jonathan and Hannah's story is quite different. They're a young couple. They are desperate for a baby, um, but their child in the womb is diagnosed with uh, dwarfism and severe chest problems. Um, so this baby will die. There's no space in the lung, uh, sorry, in the chest for the lungs to develop. So the baby will be stillborn or will die very quickly after birth of respiratory failure. Um, the reason why these sad stories take place in Northern Ireland um, is because up until recently, it was completely illegal to have abortions in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, sorry. The 1967 Abortion Act covers England, Wales and Scotland. I think you can have an abortion up to six months for particular reasons in the rest of the UK, but you, you couldn't at all in Northern Ireland. And it was put in place in the 60s uh, to prevent unsafe illegal abortions because they were happening. They've always happened. But of course, any procedure like that is better to be done safely and legally in a controlled medical environment instead of a dangerous backstreet sort of situation. Yeah. Um, so I knew this was going to make me cross immediately because this is inexcusable inequality. Um, I think it's indefensible that the Northern Irish politicians have never been very interested in overturning the ruling. Um, it's probably because this is the most religious part of the UK. It's very socially conservative. So there's never been particular pressure on those politicians to overturn what is a ruling that is against um, uh, you know, a woman's human rights. Yeah, so as you can see, <laughs> it made me quite angry. But as we go through this episode, we see that Teresa changes her mind about it. She gets into trouble with the police they show up at all a school, you know, it's going to go to trial. The fact that she bought illegal medication online for her daughter to take. Um, and then we see that Hannah, who has to carry this poor baby to full term um, with such sadness. And it's going to be a terrible weight on her mental health and her husband's mental health. We see them cope with that as best they can. And then years down the line, she decides she wants to join an activist group who are actually going to try and help Teresa in her legal case. That's it in a nutshell, but as you can see, it's really complicated stories mm. about shame and guilt and a woman's virtue and mm. small town lives of people who are just gonna gossip about you. And it's so sad to me because I've been through, I mean, nothing like this, but I've been through particular trauma this year and this has been the worst year of my life. Not just because I've been on the podcast a lot. In fact, that's been a tonic. <laughs> um, but I can just God, imagine... things must be bad. Nobody's <laughs> ever used that phrase about this podcast before. You've been keeping me going. I can very easily imagine some terrible medical thing that happens to you, some terrible grief or some terrible loss 
something awful that's happening to you, but you have to keep it a secret because you can't trust your friends and family and you can't trust wider society not to judge you. You're not going to get any help from your well, friends. Not, not just to awful. judge you, but also not to help you. That's yeah, and, and send you off to the, to the police. Because I think what happens is um, because there's a problem with the medication that Orla takes... Um, and, you know, she's still suffering terrible effects like still a week a later. Exactly. Yeah. She has to go to the GP that there's no choice. Her mum takes her to the GP. I think it's the GP that dogs mm. them in. Yeah, yes, to the school. My, my yeah. Assumption. Can you imagine not being able to trust your medical practitioners? And, and actually, I think in both cases, because it's the doctor at the hospital with with the couple, with Hannah and Jonathan, who just says, no, you're not having an abortion, after mm -hmm. initially they thought that would be an option. Yeah. You ever heard the phrase, the more things change, the more things stay the same? And while we love the excitement of new things, it's also nice to have the reliability of something constant. Hey, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when it comes to insurance, State Farm is a good neighbor you can count on. Solo llama a tu agente. Another way State Farm helps is by supporting the creators and storytellers of the Michael Tudor Podcast Network family. Con la ayuda de State Farm, estamos ayudando y asegurándonos de que nuestras voces sean escuchadas. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, NM member FDIC. Yeah, no, it's, it's devastating and it's... It's played naturalistically, obviously, because these are based on real stories. Yeah. I knew it was going to be dark and bleak and upsetting and make me furious. But th these stories are being told to show that there was a change in the law. These people pushed and pushed for a change in the law in 2019, I think. So it's not it's not in line with um, English law on abortions, but there's a little bit more tolerance. There's a bit more bit more hope for these people now but i don't think it's it's on a level playing field yet i can't help but compare this to three girls the other superior true life drama that bbc did last year the salisbury poisonings uh those two are the gold standard as far as telling real life stories dark grief those sort of things on television what I would say for me is I, I absolutely stand with you, Sarah, at the injustices, paranoia that you get and the desperation that you have. And I think Hannah's story in particular resonated with the they're so desperate for a child and then they find out that theirs won't survive. And what do you do? Yeah, do you, do you get... yeah. but it's not even the sort of no. thing that people go, oh, no, it would be too difficult for us to have no. a disabled child. It's just that this child cannot survive outside it's, the womb. Yeah, I would say that story hit hit home really well i would say the the stuff with the young girl orla and and sinead keenan as the mother hit me a little less harder because it felt to me a little bit like i was being shown this story but i, I didn't feel the same amount of empathy with them for whatever reason 
it got my back up a little bit because it did that thing I hate where it showed her in the in the dock at the court for 30 seconds and then flashed back and I completely think it's completely unnecessary a drama like that because we know what the story is. We don't need to see her in court to be interested. We should be interested from the off. I didn't come away from this one going, I must see how this story ends. This is a story that would have hit me harder if I'd have met the real people in documentary form, but that might just be me being odd. I did. I, sometimes these dramas can feel like they are preaching at you without letting you just follow the story and use your own anger. Because I don't know, does your anger come from the injustice in what's going on, or did it come from the actual drama and the performances? Because for me, it didn't. No, you are right. It, it's it was the little tidbits of like. Um, information that they clearly picked up from real people like i mean this is horrific but Orla's so-called boyfriend um when he finds out she's pregnant he kicks her because he wants to end the pregnancy violently like that um and there was other little bits that felt very real like when a lady with a baby comes up to hannah in the street and is cooing over her big belly and how wonderful it's going to be and how it's all going to be worth it and Hannah has to keep that, you know, tragedy private. She can't yell at women in the street as much as she might like to. So you're right, those little little tiny bits do feel like they've come from real life. But we have to be aware that perhaps it was easier for the people who contributed to know that they were only going to contribute stories they weren't going to have to be on. For some reason, this this story is not as angry as it made me and as, and as infuriated as I felt in bits. It, I didn't feel compelled to continue on and meet the third the third family involved because I sort of knew I sort of felt like I knew where it was going I didn't it wasn't there wasn't that jeopardy in there as a drama for me I just wonder as well I mean it's it's right and proper that these things are talked about and it's good that we should learn the stories behind these like legal cases and things but I'm not sure that this is going to necessarily change any viewers minds I mean, it might educate people about the situation, but I wonder who is the audience. It would be great if it raised people's awareness, but but who's going to tune in apart from people who are kind of interested in the subject already? I think the thing is, Luke, as well, you comparing this to Three Girls and the Salisbury uh, Poisonings is that this isn't like an event. <laughs> this is more, I would say, abstract. You say it's based on accounts rather than an event as such and i i think maybe luke your disconnect with the with the storyline with Teresa and orla is the fact that we're seeing orla's struggle through sinead mm. i think that yes, might, be, that that might all... be a very good point yeah yeah it might be a good point or it is it might be i'll think about <laughs> it or it is a good point yeah you're absolutely right because i i didn't feel like they gave the young actress much time no. you say and i appreciate you know, that the, 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 yeah. the sinead keenan character was the one to go to the to the internet and purchase these pills that mm. were illegal and so you got the weight on her and and keeping it from her stepfather and stuff but i would have much preferred if it were me to focus on the turmoil going on within this young girl of knowing she's with this abusive boyfriend and getting pregnant and having to confront her mother i i agree with you in that i think the the other story with with hannah and jonathan was a lot more compelling and i think you know looking at the fact that the they weren't allowed to not have this baby even given the complications 
I think is the thing that would make you angry. And I think the performance, I really like Amy James Kelly. She was in the military wives film last year and she was the best thing about that. I can see where you're coming from on this, Luke. You know, it was more of a, maybe a bit more sort of preachy than it was, you know, an engaging drama. You know, I think the characters here are, are people who have been raised in that mindset that Mm. abortion is a mortal sin. I think both, Teresa and, and Hannah say, you know, never considered abortion. Abortion's a mortal sin. But when something happens to you directly or as part of your family, your opinions change. And I think that is the story here is that, you know, the, the people of Northern Ireland are so entrenched into ne- abortion, such a big no-no. But when, you know, you've got your daughter in an abusive relationship or you know your baby isn't going to, to live you know opinions change i think they did that very well i think matt's absolutely right i think for me they missed the trick not showing orla with her abusive boyfriend not showing it was as if like we say this about line of duty a lot of drama lately is just the characters telling you stuff Mm. and 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 they're forgetting that they're they're pointing the camera at those two people. They could also point the camera at the other direction and show us what they're telling us. And so yeah. although I was empathetic to the situation and the awful predicament they were in and the desperation they were feeling, it perhaps would have hit home harder for me if I'd have met that boyfriend, if I'd have seen Orla and how awful, you know, Mm. Not just through, not just through. I'm, I'm kind of bored sometimes of seeing things through adult characters' like Yeah, a lot it's also that. it's also a little bit theatrical, isn't it? Like two actors are on stage talking to each other about something that's happening off stage. Yeah. Well, we don't need that because we're not in the theatre. We're we're in TV land where anything's possible. So that that's where it, it missed me. I think three girls had that emotion because you could you. You, you, it was palpable. You could, you were put into those situations that those girls were feeling, and the same with the Salisbury poisonings. You were in all those rooms while this thing was unfolding, and people were learning about things. But you also met characters who you thought were inconsequential, but then became important later on. And I think this was just—I yeah. admire its view, but it was very simplistic I, in the way it dealt I, with I think for me. the thing with three girls as well is that you had more of a sort of a structure there. You know, you had a police investigation, you had a a court case. It's, the dramatic structure was much more easy to recreate, whereas this is more a personal thing. I, I'm with I'm with the Salisbury poisonings as well. If you're going to use that as another example, again. And we had like the investigation and that sort of thing. Whereas this is much more of a personal story about, as it says, three families. So it's harder, I think, to find that sort of thing to, to sort of lead the drama. They've got a, a good cast here, a really sort of strong subject matter. But I don't know if the, as you say, like that anger overtakes this being a successful drama because it's just one more part Mm. there's not much stopping me from watching that second part I would say one more criticism I do have I suppose is that the where she go where Hannah goes to the end to these the 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 sort of the anti-abortion campaigners Mm. they were all painted as very much like an aging hippie type community rather than a 
rather than sort of a mixture they all seem to be women of a certain age who look like they've been through like you know the flower power movement or whatever <laughs> rather than that, that, that's that's what the flower power made it to northern ireland i think no, they were probably well, that's more sort of counterculture then let's yeah. just say but you were saying that um you felt like that side of things hadn't been properly represented apart from a few unpleasant conversations and i think you're right it would be interesting to see the um, anti-abortion people as like full characters and find out, you know, what, you what they have, have and why. There was one scene where Teresa's friend, who she, you know from the from the salon, I think she was yeah. at a salon, and and you saw her campaigning outside the the Mary Stopes clinic, and there was a yeah. bit where she handed like a model of the baby, the little baby to the yeah. girl who was going in for advice, and she sort of throwing it back, and she was just looking at it longingly, mm. and I thought, are we going to get a story here about how she's lost a baby, and that's why she's campaigning against it because she sees, because that's what it felt like. Do you, did, yeah. did you get that as well that we were yeah, going to get yeah. something more there and then whether that's followed up on in the second episode and there's going to be a scene with her and and Teresa but I just felt oh this might be the other side of the story that the reason she's campaigning is because she's lost a child so she Maybe, doesn't yeah. understand why that yeah. again though that's me like we're saying line of duty that's me putting all the subtext <laughs> on top of it you, yeah. you're, uh, you're writing the story for yeah. that comes away yeah. with he finishes the drama then rewrites it yeah basically like. as you say if it, if it is only a two-parter and we've already all watched the first one i will watch the second because i know that there's not going to be a happy ending but i need some sort of resolution now that i've seen all of this tragedy mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to see these activists and find out what they work for and how they manage to achieve it. And Three Families is available now on the BBC iPlayer. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Inside number nine was the reason I hoped that Sarah would do the podcast this week. <laughs> With um, almost no notice, you tell me that I can watch a preview copy of Inside Number Nine. I'm going to bite your hand off. <laughs> but, but then you watched it, and did you have that same feeling? Let Matt set it up. Because oh, thanks. I, I, I just can't. I honestly can't. I didn't understand this episode of Inside Number Nine. There have been episodes of Inside Number Nine I've loved, episodes of Inside Number Nine that I haven't liked but this one, I didn't understand. I just, I couldn't follow it. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what, I didn't understand what they were taking off. I didn't understand the characters. And so I just cannot. Let me and Matt help you with that. Okay. I'll set up. The, so, I mean, basically, Imagine this is I called... have special needs. <laughs> well, not a big leap. Um, <laughs> this is episode one of series six. It's called Wuthering Heist. Um, essentially, it's a it's a crossbreed of a Tarantino movie. It's very yeah. Reservoir Dogs esque. It all takes which I places. haven't seen. Well, Any Tarantino, I should say. No, you know, a lot of Reservoir Dogs is set after the heist in in a warehouse similar to um, this episode of Inside okay, Number Nine. Me, yeah, the structure of a heist movie is essentially. Criminals plan activity, activity occurs, then there's the aftermath, and and this was the plan and the and the aftermath. But it was it linked in with a Italian theatre style known as Commedia dell'arte, which I wasn't very familiar with, but seems to consist of characters wearing masks, 
doing acrobatics and possibly breaking the fourth wall because there was a lot of breaking the fourth wall here you'll find that it's venetian theater of the 1600s that's basically the root of modern european theater and yes i had heard of it before but i'm glad you pronounced it before i did (laughs) have you got the wikipedia open at the moment no but i did look that up um a lot of this is seen through the eyes of uh, a character called columbia Colum- columbina easy for me to who? say played by Gemma whelan um who is so who I does a lot any character names that's the other thing i couldn't put I couldn't the, um, the character names the character names are all like um traditional character names from commedia dell'arte um so <laughs> each... listen to you that's why we had you on <laughs> so like there's always the captain there's always pantalone there's there's always a servant like um Gemma whelan's character in traditional theater would have been a serving girl those characters are familiar if you've the... done and the a-level drama i guess <laughs> you know there's the certain archetypes and again she is she's the one who's sort of leading us through the plot and it's very you know here comes the subplot it's all around a, a, a diamond heist and then there are certain smaller sort of plots. There's an undercover cop. There's talk of a double cross that they're going to exchange fake diamonds for real diamonds and, and make off with them. There's a character who I'm assuming is another ar- archetype, is the, the, the fool character played by yeah, right. Kevin Bishop, who's Arlo, who's sort of this guy who just wants to eat a cheese sandwich the entire time. Um, and again, it's it's the planning of the heist and then it's the aftermath of the heist. That's essentially the story here with some sort of romantic entanglings in between. That's ba- that's the essential story as I saw it anyway. What did I... you not understand in that, Luke? Because you said you didn't understand this. What did you not understand I... in that in that setup? I, I got I got that it was the planning of a heist and the aftermath of a heist, and I got that Gemma Whedon was an undercover cop because they did a, a scene where she literally said, are you ready for the twist? What I didn't understand was who was connected to who, what the jeopardy was. The twist at the end was obviously a twist that completely got lost on me. It just seemed to be all over the place and I couldn't relax into it. And I watched this, this, the, the first half again just to make sure oh, yeah, that... Yeah. It I was just, really, I, I, really I, fast and it was really, really frenetic. It mm. ju- it, I found it jarring. It wasn't a pleasant experience for me. I didn't. I just couldn't get a handle on who people were where they stood in the hierarchy of this thing i just i, I what I why even... why didn't you get i suppose because i think i certainly got that aspect of, i would agree with you that that final thing where there's a twin version of arlo who comes out and does the the triple somersault or whatever that mm. was completely lost on me but you know they explain like you know the for example the steve pemberton character the younger guy was his son you know that the Patterson yeah, Joseph character that, had I a daughter. At the time that they were, um, the daughter, I didn't realise that they had a daughter because sometimes they they were talking as if Steve Pemberton and the young guy were separate to the group, but then they were part of the group. I just I found myself. Oh, I didn't get that at all, Luke. No, I thought they were separate to the group and they were trying to get the diamonds off of them before that started. So I think okay. I tied myself you've, up. And you've lost. Lo- yeah, you have. I got you... I got lo- I got completely lost. I, I think if anything sometimes... you might have overthought it. I think sometimes Luke It's never you... something I've been accused of. <laughs> you do you, you don't just let the thing wash over you. You're always sort of thinking why am I not understanding this rather yeah, than just letting the it. The thing was I would agree with you and uh, it pains me but you're right. But on this occasion it was a very hard thing to let wash over you because 
it was always yeah, they, breaking they kept the breaking the fourth wall they kept yeah. telling you what was happening next they were talking as if they knew that people were watching they were talking about the fact that it was going to be on iplayer whether the jokes would play in china or not yeah, yeah. Um, i think i really loved that i loved how they're playing with it mm. especially when Gemma says to the camera that um it's series six now so please let the audience be sympathetic to any artistic exhaustion yeah i think <laughs> so i I don't think it married together or the, the two styles married together very well. I wouldn't say I was ever lost like Luke seemed to be. I didn't find it particularly successful. I, I, I didn't think that any of the breaking of the fourth wall hit for me. I found it all a bit almost like self-satisfactory. I, I think the best thing was Kevin Bishop's performance. I quite liked him in this. I think he was the, the most successful aspect of it. And, you know, I think almost the the thing with the masks and everything like that it was almost a little bit too clever for its own good. And like me, oh, and yeah, you, it's definitely yeah, not. Like, it's... like me and you have done, Sarah. We've had to read up on this art <laughs> to, yeah. to actually <laughs> understand everything that's going on there. And I think maybe that again, as we say having to do too much homework to actually no, understand no, I think this was just enough homework yeah, I, I liked it because it was teaching me things that I, I sort of know a little bit about I mean, but not a lot because I've never done any sort of like theatre studies or anything I think like some of the genres they like you know they use the silent film genre in the first series they used the sort of like the Shakespearean comedy in that episode where they were all in the, the hotel I am yeah. but they're things that you know the the normal audience would sort of understand without well, I having. I would argue to they didn't distract the plot. They didn't. They added to the plot rather than mm. to distract from them. Yeah. So, so here I, I found it really distracting. But they do that though, don't they? They always write with kind of limitations on themselves. I just think they're so inventive, and and maybe this is it. There maybe is a little bit artistic exhaustion because this is series six, and they have to keep coming up with these really clever plots really clever twists and I, I quite liked self-referential thing because I've watched their work from you know decades decades mm, of, and it's me too. I just, it's quite nice that they they I mean after all aren't they allowed a little bit of like clever clever showboating you know yeah, because I, I, it, I, I, throughout, I thought it was brilliant I really enjoyed it I, I would watch it again because it, there was so much going on but I would watch it again for pleasure not because I felt like out of the loop on it traditionally for me the first episode of each series has been one of my least favourite of Inside Number Nine. Mm. I agree with you when I was thinking about it. The first episode is normally like the big big name guest stars get a lot of them in, sort of start the start the series with. It's almost it's almost like the most comedic episode as well in a way. I often find. And they're known uh, for their sort of big grotesque characters, aren't they? So that's mm. probably why the, you know, the Venetian theatre and the masks and the the big character archetypes really appeal to them. So I don't think it was, for them as performers, it wasn't a stretch. If anything, they could well have been inspired by this, you know, years ago for, for the, the big grotesque characters that they're famous for. I just really liked it. Really liked it. Yeah, can't wait to see what happens this series. I'm so excited for it to be back. I'm slightly concerned just because I wonder whether the pandemic will have made life difficult. I know. Well, this first episode was all about masks. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I did wonder whether that was a little nod to we can all do this because we've got masks on. But um, I I know there's an episode later on in the series where Adrian Dunbar plays himself. That worries me a little bit because 
why you know that's, I wonder... that's a bit like stage doesn't it yeah it worries me a tiny bit i do think series five psychoville episode aside was my least and, favorite yeah. of the run because there and was two the, wasn't there the love's two, great adventure love's great adventure was a beautiful piece of kitchen sink drama that i i'll always gravitate so, i think the thing that. with with we found last series i think when we because i think well i went back and obviously put them all on the youtube channel so i sort of listened back that we found we liked the episodes but they rarely stuck the landing with the twists mm. And I think the thing with Love's a Great Adventure is that it's the one that had the least twisty ending. Yeah. But I think there's there's that expectation in a way for every episode to have a twist. And I think the ones we've enjoyed more, the ones which have been the um, Bernie Clifton's dressing room as well as the other one, isn't it? Where, yeah. you know, the twist is the guy is the guy. One of the guys is dead. But, yeah. you know, it's like for the, I remember I think that the week weakest one of the last series was the one where it turned out that one of the characters was a vampire and i'm like eh. oh yeah all right then inside number nine back on monday it's a double bill with motherland i've seen the first motherland episode that is equally i think it's superior to the inside number nine because i could follow it but apart from that i <laughs> motherland's really good it's a headlights episode and it's one of my favorites so next up we have fargo this is the fourth series we're finally getting it it was shut down because of the pandemic and it, it got messed about with we're finally getting it however channel four is choosing not to put it into prime time instead putting it at 10 o'clock on sunday night so this is the anthology series from noah hawley if you want to go back and see the original three series, series one and two are complete masterpieces. Series three with Ewan McGregor as a pair of twin brothers is okay. So this is set in uh, Can in um, Kansas City, Missouri. It's not set in the traditional Fargo, Minnesota setting. It, it is about... Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Plus free samples and free shipping. Ho, ho, ho! Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off. Plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Several sets of characters which at the moment are disparate, but as is the Fargo way will come together over the course of the 11 episodes that make up this series. So it, it starts with this young girl called Ethel Reader, 
telling the story of how gangs operate in New York, uh, from the Polish to the Jewish to the Italians and to the African Americans. They all have this tradition where uh, both sets of gangs will raise the youngest child of their enemy to sort of live with them and learn about them and give them their their values and things. So that's where Chris Rock's character comes in. He is the head of this business family who's trying to set up a good uh, name for himself. He's got an idea of a credit card which keeps being laughed out of, out of banks and things that he wants to set up properly. Uh, and not just be part of this gang, um, but he is given uh, he's given his youngest son to Italian crime bosses, and it's about really how these two how these two groups are sort of on the outskirts of of modern society and on the outskirts of life. They are looked upon as down and outs. They are looked upon as lessers. They are racially targeted. They are not welcome in most establishments. One of the the head honcho of the Italian gang is shot with a BB gun in a tense moment in the first episode and is not welcomed at the hospital. And they say, no, this is a respectable hospital. If you want to be treated, you go to the public one. So this young girl that's talking to us is Etherada. She is uh, living with a mixed-race family. They run the funeral home and we are expecting that she will become entangled, the family will become entangled with the Italian or the the African-American gang. She discovers they're having family problems. Jessie Buckley plays a the traditional Fargo character and as much as she has the Minnesotan up-and-down jaunty accent, she plays this nurse who is who we first meet at one of the funerals that the family is holding. She's, she's traditional. She talks about, you know the skin colour of the of this young girl and just makes everybody feel uncomfortable. She's got a murderous streak. We don't really understand her. I've seen the first four of this series, so that's that's episode one. I've done a very poor job of setting that up because it's, it's so all over the place. It's very so dense. Long. It's densely plotted. It, it takes a long time to become cohesive. It takes a long time for characters to bump up against each other and for the world to open up more. And I've read some reviews after I've seen this first four and the consensus from the critics who've seen it all appear to be that Fargo has sort of out-Fargoed itself. It's lost its sense of whimsy that I love so much about those those first couple of series. And it's just really this... It's an ambitious story, but I think it's overly ambitious um, and not even the great Tim of the Oliphant who comes in in the third episode can really save it. Um, Chris Mark, you hope, will inject some humour and some, some levity into things, but his character is, is very much straight-laced. He's very much trying to make a name for himself and fight against the racial prejudices that his character finds himself having to fight against all the time. It, it it just isn't memorable for me. The fact that I had to get up Wikipedia and butcher a lot of that first episode that I watched two nights ago again to to familiarise and remind myself of where we were. It's a shame because Fargo at its best is a show I would recommend to anybody, but this isn't the show at its best, unfortunately. Fargo Series 1 was absolute appointment viewing. Yeah. Series 2, for me... 
I lost interest halfway through. Can't tell oh, you why. Brilliant. Yeah, away from it. Now I realise that maybe three isn't worth watching. <laughs> um, I was very keen to give it another go, especially because it seems like a very timely conversation about identity, culture yeah. and immigration in America. Even if your immigrants aren't all gangsters, can they ever feel truly at home? It was almost like a Western when these gangs meet in front of the department store. And they become blood brothers. Yeah, yeah and it's like high noon and these people are going in. And you see the wave after wave of immigration. So it starts out with the Jewish and then the Irish violently take over the, you know, the sort of businesses, the illegal businesses that the Jewish people were running. The Italians come in, take over from the Irish. And then it looks like it's going to be the rise of the African-Americans because they're going to come in and take over from the mafia. And I thought that was really interesting. I like Ethel Rader, but she, as a narrator, she was she was running leaps around me like that. that she just knows so much about culture and identity and stuff. And she was fascinating to listen to. She's very bright and very intelligent, um, but she keeps getting... Um, disciplined at school and I thought it was very disturbing watching black kids get yeah. essentially paddled by their white headmaster the optics are not good um, but yeah that's another another story yeah, I think the the just while you're on that scene I think that the only bit that made me laugh was the bit where she had been paddled that many times that she couldn't sit down in class yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was some very good physical humor from that I thought she was the best thing about it if I'm honest that young actress who played yeah it. no I'll, I'll be really interested to see how she gets mixed up in all this because it looks like the funeral home there's financial problems there so they've gone to the the new um black gangsters you know to try and support them financially very interested by um nurse mayflower uh, the name intrigues me because of you know the mayflower the ship that brought the first immigrants over i wonder if that's a nod to to like the original immigrants of uh, of america um, yeah, she's strange, and not just because of her accent, which does feel out of place, you know, when they're not in the middle of Minnesota. And But yeah, I wasn't expecting to see her do um, illegal drugs with the Italian boss's son and then and then kill the Italian boss. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. So I am interested enough to, to watch again and find out what happens. You know, she seems to be fearless, so who is she working for? There's something about this, although I've seen the first four... That was out of duty to the show because I've loved it in the past. But there's something I came away thinking I don't need to carry on with. I've watched this episode twice now for the podcast. I don't need to carry on. There just isn't anything in there to make me go, you know, what's going to happen next week? And that is down to the character work for me. And, and Matt, as someone who doesn't have that relationship with the show, did you find it a real hard slog? No, not really. I thought I would, if I'm honest, but... Yeah, I thought you I... would. Okay, well, I didn't. Um, but... <laughs> Did you not? I thought you would. No, no I, I mean, I've never really been a fan of, of Noah Hawley's writing because I, I wasn't massively into Legion either when we watched that. I mean, you you did more with I that. More. With that. I, I just... I've never found any of these characters particularly engaging before. I really tried with the first series with Martin Freeman and I just couldn't get into that. I think I I liked the second series more with um, Jesse Plemons and Gene Smart was in that, Kirsten Dunst. Um, I enjoyed that more. I'm, I'm with you. I couldn't get into the Ewan McGregor twins thing at all. That was all a bit too strange for me. And this, I mean, I, I don't think it's one that I'm going to stick with. But it wasn't a hardship to get through. I think that's where I am on it. I I, I think 
the the scenes, as I said, with Ethel Reader at the funeral home, I liked that. Like Sarah, I am intrigued by the by the nurse, and and uh, I think Jessie Buckley is an excellent actress. Yeah. She's always always plays these almost like these oddball characters, which it's really strange to think she got her start on TV on um, I'd Do Anything, the Let's Find a Nancy TV show. What lets it down, as you say, like Chris Rock, Jason Schwartzman. I mean, there wasn't a lot of Ben Whishaw in this episode, but the bigger the bigger names were quite underwhelming for me. Yeah, I think that's going to be the case if we're talking about large groups. So we are talking about like a whole gang, aren't we? So yeah. and I hopefully think... they get time to shine later on. Yeah. Ben Whishaw was quite a surprise. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to see him pop up as a part Irish, part Italian gangster. Yeah, because he was the Irish son who turned against the Irish gang, wasn't he? Yeah. And I think that, and, and maybe Luke, you thought it might have been a bit of slug for me because that, like prelude was 22 minutes before we actually got to the thing that said Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, I think it was the, you know, the, the commentary from Ethel reader that, that sort of kept me through. And interestingly, you find out at the end that nurse Mayflower lives in the flats across from the funeral home as well. So there's another connection there. Yeah. Um, finally then, um, just before Fargo at 10, the pursuit of love is on BBC one at nine. Looking behind the curtain a bit, I sort of look at the list and I think, oh, I'm not that bothered. And it, it was in my content and I started to watch it. And I thought, I don't really think this is a me show. And then when we finally agreed on the four shows, Matt worried I'd had an aneurysm by choosing this show. No, no, I said, uh, watching it myself, I went, there's not many more shows that could be least for Luke <laughs> than this. It's a costume oh, drama. Yeah. There's like, it's quirky. Yeah. There's all these, you know, anachronistic elements of it with the, you know, the, the popular music being played, yeah. big performances. So, yeah, I think Sarah was going to set this up. Yeah, go on. <laughs> You're quite right. It, it is one of the least likely programs that Luke would ever want to talk about. Um, it's The Pursuit of Love, and it's by a writer called Nancy Mitford. Um, it covers the interwar years of a very wealthy, very eccentric, terribly upper-class family. Um, the whole thing is very twee, very jolly. Um, so Linda and Fanny are cousins and best friends. They've got a very weird sort of codependent friendship Linda is the dramatic romantic one. Um, Fanny is the more serious one, the educated one, maybe because she's the child of the black sheep of this family, um, a woman who runs off with a series of unsuitable men. Her family nickname is the Bolter because she's always running off. Um, so from the start, this is not your mum's costume drama. There's a very irreverent vibe to this, uh, similar to The Great. Um, it's annoying upper class people doing outrageous things to each other. Um, what's really different and quite jarring is the atypical soundtrack choices. So essentially the, the programme felt like there was four or five full music videos in the episode. The writer Nancy Mitford pokes fun at upper class hobbies, the partying, the balls, the fox hunting. But it, she's poking quite gentle fun at them because the Mitfords were very, very posh indeed. Um, they were part of the in crowd in the interwar years in the 30s as well. Uh, they're a family of six famous sisters. They were like basically the Kardashians of their day. Uh, one sister, Unity, famously went off to be a Nazi and had a relationship with Hitler in the 30s. So, yeah, they were quite the scandalous family. Um, this is the case that, you know, she's taken inspiration from this, um, especially in the character of Matthew, who's played by Dominic West. Um, 
He's got the unhinged emperor vibes. He's totally insane and violent and prejudiced. And it's a bit weird seeing Dominic West and Lily James on screen together as father and daughter because rather famously um, they had a relationship uh, while filming this that the tabloids picked up on. So the big question of the series and the book, I guess, is whether women should be educated or whether it's enough to be stupid and charming if you're from a wealthy family. Um, I think people got quite excited because Andrew Scott's in this. Um, He's an artist called Merlin. Um, And we see him as a harlequin doing a big dance number in the middle of the episode. And then Freddie Fox turns up. He's a guy called Tony, um, who is very posh again. I mean, like literally everyone in this is posh. There's no behind under the stairs stuff here. We don't we're not interested at all in the lives of the servants. Um, So Tony is a Oxford student. Um, the girls are looking for sort of romance and excitement, but they also want to meet sophisticated friends. Tony's friends are very loud and brash and underwhelming. Um, but even so, um, I think it's because Linda is desperate for a romantic fairy tale. Um, she decides that she's just going to marry Tony, who is from a German family, and her dad's not keen on that at all. So I do like the soundtrack and the sort of risks they took with it. It's not a normal costume drama, and I wonder if they are looking for a um, slightly different, perhaps a younger audience. But I just think that the whole show was really over-reliant on it. Um, there wasn't much in the way of conversation, character development. Um, ultimately, to, to, I thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a headache to watch. <laughs> I think it's a bit too zany, and it's trying a bit too hard. And frankly, it was just a little bit exhausting in a way that The Great wasn't. But, you know, I, I applaud them for, you know, trying something different, but it, it, I don't think it's for me. On paper, would it have been for you, Sarah? Had you read just... Yeah, I, actually, I saw the adverts for it and went, oh, that looks quite interesting. Oh, look, Lily, Lily James and Dominic West in it. Oh, that could be good. Oh, it's based on, a you know, a, a classic novel. Oh, that, you know, and it really hasn't lived up to my expectations. I loved The Great. I mean, I, I think it's one of the best shows Channel 4 of ever bought. I can't believe that it sat quietly on the Stars Play platform and nobody talked about it because it was one of the most inventive, funniest, warm-hearted, ridiculous shows I've ever seen. I loved it. And this, I think you've summed it up well. I mean, it's loud, it's brash, it's in your face. And at the end of the day, as I always say, I just didn't care about these people. They, they were... They irritated me. They grated mm. on me. Whereas the what I think the great did so well was that um, that feeling of these these people, although brash and irritating like uh, Nicholas Holt's character was, and they they sort of gave them some hum some humanity and some levity, and they showed them who they were and their weaknesses and things. And this, yeah, even with the emperor, you saw yeah. vulnerability. Yeah, and this. This, at least in this opener, didn't have that. You're right, it's not your traditional costume drama, and I think perhaps to work better, although it wouldn't, again, it wouldn't appeal to me, it perhaps should have. It should have been your traditional period drama. I, just, because... I think it, it could have done the soundtrack stuff, it could have done the music video, the musical number stuff, if it just calms down at any point. <laughs> it, it, it's from Emily Mortimer, uh, who uh, starred in this as the bolter. She wrote and directed it and I feel like she she's from a predominantly comedic background. She did Doll and M all those years ago with Dolly Wells. It it just it just was a, too much of a mismatch. I couldn't relax into it. It's too loud, too brash 
and I, I took again. I found it quite insufferable, really, if I'm honest. For me, I, I'm in agreement with, with both of you. I mean, I the, the word that springs to mind here is whimsical, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is never a good word. I, it, there was a lot of it that reminded me of Wes Anderson films. Again, yeah. sorry. Yeah, it was reference. shot very much like that, wasn't it, with those... Yeah sort of like, especially in the ball scenes where people were sort of grouped in different corners of the room. It, I mean, the, it, it looked good, but it, it was just kind of a bit of a headache. The constant introduction to every character with like a, you know, like a little subtitle, a little introduction, introductory name. I know they did that with Fargo as well in the in sort of the introducing all the gangsters. But this, again, I mean, Wes Anderson does that quite a lot. I think the, the bit that, reminded me most of like one of those films is when they introduced the Andrew Scott character and you saw him in like three different scenes wearing you know doing his artwork with his cronies and I didn't mind it it passed the hour I I was never feeling like it was a slog I think the other thing that affected it for me is that I think there was a bit of a disconnect that we had these actresses in their 30s playing teenage girls and I know we're presumably following them throughout their lives until they reach the age that the actresses are, but it just felt almost like it was a little bit immature in, in because these actresses were a lot older than the characters they were playing. I mean, Dominic West, just uh, I was surprised there was any scenery left, the amount he was chewing. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a, that was definitely a fun performance. Yeah, I think he just is like Dominic. Just do what you want with this, mate, and do he just right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Lily James as well sort of threw herself into this. I don't know. Have you seen the pictures of what she's doing yes. next, Lily yes, James? Yes. Have you, Sarah? Yeah. No. So she's playing just Pamela look her up on Twitter. Look her up oh on no, Twitter I saw a tweet about it this morning. I haven't seen the pictures yet, though. Yeah. So she's playing Pamela Anderson opposite Sebastian Stan, who will be playing Tommy Lee. Is that a TV thing or a film thing? Have we oh, got to sure. watch that for the podcast? I don't know. But I mean, I do. I, Lily James is an actress who I like, and I think is you know again has thrown herself into this. I found I'm not Emily... particularly hard though here. No. Nor is Emily Beach. Do you not really. think so? I don't think it pushes. I think she's doing well. I think she's. I think she's trying hard with the character. I think that's a bit of an insult to the actress. If I'm honest. I can um, okay. <laughs> you know. I, you know. It is a. I suppose what you're saying is, is it's an archetype that she can yes. play well. Yeah. But yes. I, I, it's roles. not like she's like. I, maybe it's lazy casting, but I think she does it does that well. And I think you know. I, I found her the more compelling of the two. I found. Emily Beecham, who is like the narrator here, I think didn't have as much to do, perhaps. Um, and I thought it was sort of like the normal character in a way mm. uh, was sort of maligned to an extent. But it was fine, I suppose. In it, <laughs> oh, wow, that is high praise. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did, I didn't hate it. I probably, you know, I was. I would say the Luke thing of I will forget about it. You know what my Rain Man like knowledge is. I won't forget about it. It'll be in there somewhere. But I yeah. just think it's another example as well of the BBC cannot make a drama now that will not be with the thought process of can we sell this to Netflix? Can we put mm-hmm. this on, you know, a big Australian but channel? Can again, it, can go as I America? always say to you, Luke. Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Plus 
free samples and free shipping. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high quality window treatments with no showroom mockups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. With your romantic idea of TV, it's an industry at the end of the day. It's more than just something we watch at nine o'clock on a Sunday everyone has got those ideas of how can I make money from this and I think that's part of it. I feel unfortunately that's something that's that's got bigger as the streamers has got bigger because when I lived in in the States there were things that just would never come over and when when I saw them it was like having a piece of gold because couldn't get hold of them any other way whereas now I feel like everything is already made with that feeling of don't need the view to yeah, to yeah certainly you know i think and i think that that started perhaps with downton abbey being so successful that mm-hmm. maybe what what started that certainly with the period dramas but i think with well, anything i would argue else, that if you ask mm-hmm. julian fellows and you know we had sarah on he wasn't available but we had <laughs> uh, luckily sarah was available if you ask julian fellows and if you ask Sir, sally wainwright when she did happy valley do you foresee an American audience falling in love with this? She'd probably say, well, no, I wrote it for me. I wrote it in Yorkshire. I, you know, and the same for Julian Fellows. He's not writing this with the idea no. of... But the thing but is, that I... those, both of those shows found an audience because mm-hmm. of how good the shows are. It's almost trying to be zany and whimsical mm-hmm. to appeal to a different audience. Well, I don't think it is. I'd agree it's zany and whimsical, but I don't know if that's being done with the intent of selling it on i, I think was that... thinking that it was there for a younger audience really mm. you know yeah, no i would agree with that yeah, and all this has come for lily james or I... indeed you know watching her in a bathtub because <laughs> it, it did get a little bit i was expecting like um uh, a pillow fight in lingerie at any point you know it was it was there was quite a bit of titillation there that mm. i don't know don't know whether that is true yeah like the, let's cut away just before we show anything shot yeah exactly um, but, but the, the source material couldn't be more english mm. because you know these these families with with power and titles um you know before the rot set in for them in in the 30s you know couldn't be yeah, more English, could it? But I think but the I, z- I think the zaniness distracts from the mm. seriousness uh, of the What I would happen. say is there may have been an earlier draft of this and then someone at the BBC saw it and said, Can you make it a bit more like Peaky Blinders? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, I think while, while we're on this topic, and God knows I hate myself and this podcast is long enough for anyone's ears and I gonna hate hitting the stop button and editing this. It's down. all gold. <laughs> what are you talking about? I should have touched on it in um, in 
the drama that I've already forgotten the name of. I said I wouldn't remember. Three families. Um, I tweeted that uh, it started with my least favourite thing, which is showing you a character in a predicament that we're going to see later on. Mm-hmm. To grab yeah. And then goes three months earlier. Well, I can't even remember what the timestamp was now. I think it was only a 20 second scene where this judge is talking to Shanae Keenan's character who's stood all forlorn in the dock. And that is such an overused thing now. We've, you've heard me mention it countless times on the podcast of why does this happen? Is it We call right? it the Luke, the Luke special. <laughs> you know, if I'm marking things out of 10, it really puts things down to a 6 if it starts with that and then they have to work their way back up. And it's, as I said on Twitter this week, it would be easier for me to list the shows that don't do it than the ones that do because it just is an overused and silly piece of direction or choice in writing or wherever it is. And this sparks an interesting conversation on Twitter for me this week with the likes of Sarah Phelps, um, Nick Murphy, the director, um, loads of other people who I respect, and and Matt saw it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, he, and and had to explain it to you what no, people no, were saying didn't. to you. But I but I think what came across and why I shouldn't be so perhaps so snooty about that device is that nine times out of ten it is some. Um, producer who knows very little about tv who is saying to the writer look this is this explosion that you've got on page 40 use it at the start because it'll grab people's attention and my argument is always let the characters grab our attention let the world Mm. grab our attention and i think though look you are in the minority there because you you you... the minority in the three of us though am i no, not at all. No, but I think just, jam- you know, because you're watching these shows often on the previews in the middle of the day, you need to put yourself in the, the position mm. of that person who's sitting down at nine That's o'clock true. to watch whatever's on. Yeah. If we are watching 12, you know, and I know you love your world building and what have you, but if you are sitting down to watch something at nine o'clock and thought, oh, I'll give this five minutes to wow me and there's a massive chase scene explosion what have you you are more likely then to wait to see when that happens and stick with it than you are to flick over to another channel if you That's are watching true, yeah. it luke, you're, linearly you are by no means, luke you are by no means a casual viewer you sit down and you watch things you know whereas you're not just expecting to to you know find something fun because you just turn the TV on at nine o'clock, you, you sit down and you probably know a lot about the shows before you start watching mm. them. I would I would say, counter-argument, I would say I can't think of an example, and particularly in Three Families, where that moment would be enough to draw no. people in. It's so inconsequential and tiny. No, I, and I agree with you, and I think that in that, and I said to you, I don't agree in that, instance but on, on the whole a lot of these scenes if you go back to and i know it wasn't a flashback to two days ago but just thinking about it which we talked about the start of your honor if that had been at the end and it had been just all the talking between father and son that might not have been enough to grab people or i'm just trying to think of ones that have been like the one i'm thinking about again we're going back years let is, me guess what year well okay <laughs> i think 2014 was that when prey was on 
because Prey was the one that, that just sort of springs to mind because they did that massive scene, didn't they? It was from like the end of episode two, He's I think. And then in the back of a police van. Yeah, yeah. Over. And I think the other one that I remember, the driver with David Morrissey, they did a big that stunt. Was just a mess. Though. Yeah, yeah but again, they did. It's the ones that do that big stunt to to sort of grab you in because if it's a drama that hasn't got a hook, whether it be it's the first series or it's a, like a mini series or it hasn't got a big writer or a big name attached to it, yeah. you need a hook for that that big audience. The, yeah. the you know the casual. Interestingly, audience. I thought the Pursuit of Love did their like. 10 years in the future yeah, yeah, forward yeah. quite well because they are doing it for for comedy in this yeah. and you're when you find out a little bit more about linda's character you're like oh my goodness how did she end up in the middle of london pregnant during the war and and we do go back to sort of like 12 years earlier and see her develop as a as a young woman like irritatingly and i wonder if she's She's still irritating 12 years later, but because it was a, a sort of biography, I thought it was better doing it in that sense than in just like yeah. dramatic uh, yeah. sense. Because I, 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 I said that as much to you that I don't understand why they did that with three families, because... I know. Again, you said you know the story, but again, you might you might not know the story. I suppose. See again, Russell T. Davis unavailable for the podcast, so Sarah is here. Um, but he he somebody pointed out that because I made the reference. Imagine if it's a sin started with Richie's death or Colin's death, and then flashback. And we Spoilers, met. Jesus. Crikey. <laughs> <laughs> it's been available for five months. Yes, come on. If you've not watched um, it now, you're not going to watch not it. Watched it now. It's a sim. <laughs> oh, very good. But he said, "This is a quote from Russell T. Davis that sounds very much like I'd said it. If I'd written it's a sin for the BBC, you would have seen an AIDS ward with the bleep of a monitor and men dying and a caption that then said." five years earlier and gone back to tell the story. I was told to do that at various points and, and that it could get commissioned that way, but I absolutely refused. I didn't want it to be commissioned if that was the direction it was going to go. I absolutely refused to do that cheap stunt storytelling. It does but, sound like you yeah. could have said that. Definitely, I, I think like you said that. <laughs> Russell T. Davis has the luxury and the cachet of being a known writer. Mm. And but, being but, then someone... could, but then you could make the argument, Matt. Your your person at nine o'clock who's just mm. sitting down to watch the show. Yes, it's a sin might have been promoted with Russell T Davis's name on, but most shows, most people won't know who's written it. So it doesn't matter what the cachet but is behind. I think it. the thing with it, it's a sin is it became a word of mouth hit. I don't think it was a massive success when it started, but people recommended it to other people. I think it became bigger that way. I think if you look at the viewing figures, it probably didn't do great for Channel 4 on a Friday night. It didn't get a lot of those people sitting down on a Friday night. And a lot of people discovered it as recommendation either by people on Twitter or people at work. You know, it was a word of mouth hit. It didn't need that big hook to it. And I think... The, so I think you're saying the... something like Mayor of Easttown has the cachet of Kate Winslet. And mm, yeah, need... yeah. Yeah, and again, I don't think it is getting, certainly on, on this side of the Atlantic, isn't getting a, a great deal of views because it's on Sky Atlantic. I, I think it's different when you are on the BBC 
and ITV as well, you know, there's an expectation that there are people who will look at what is ever, whatever is on those two big channels first, regardless of what it is, to give I it think, a I think that might be a rather old-fashioned... Um, yeah, but there are people like that. But, but honestly, that's me. That's yeah. literally me. Yeah. I will look through five channels, find out what's on, and then <laughs> think about going to streaming services. So if, you, if you'd have watched Three Families... Would you have known prior to watching it what you were watching? Or would you have just gone, this is on at nine o'clock on a Monday night? I would have had a little look at, at what it was about. Just, you know, like two lines in the Radio Times or something, just to find out whether I'd be interested in the subject. Okay. Well, you can read that thread somewhere in my Twitter feed. Look, this podcast has all been just a promotion for your Twitter feed, hasn't it? I've yeah, it has, hasn't it? Yeah. And then, some and some just... other people are on Twitter as well, Luke. No, they're, <laughs> yes, they're, they're same people interact with me and you can find their interactions <laughs> on my Twitter feed. I, I just don't think it's ever... Fair enough that people need a hook, but I don't think it has ever made a show better. No. You know, I'm, I'm watching the shows anyway, I grant you. But I think your relationship with TV generally is different to, and and that's the same with a lot of people who are TV reviewers. You, you know, different than the person who is what sitting down at nine o'clock or you know is actually watching stuff on the TV, which is a lot less now than it used to be. But they have a different relationship with that show. It's, it's more of a distraction or to have something on and they might be drawn into it and sort of on reflection that that wasn't necessary, but they may not have watched it if, if it wasn't for that, that big start to it. I will always say, and you can tell me I'm wrong, but I will always say that good characters and good writing will draw you in without a big explosion or a big you know Catherine you're wrong k, Catherine k would walking into an estate agent in, in news agent saying can i have a fire extinguisher someone setting fire to himself i know we're aware of that thank you can i buy these and then saying i'm Catherine, by the way i live with my sister who's a recovering heroin addict i've got two kids one dead one who doesn't speak to me and a grandson so and there you go there's mm. your opening no mm. in flashbacks to yeah, you know, but that was easy enough for them. Not all scripts have that to put that at the start. It's different for each one. That is a good introductory scene that worked at the beginning of that show. And some shows have that. Unfortunately, some shows don't and want to start with something that isn't as, you know, won't grab you. Each show is different. Some have got that hook, like Happy Valley, as you say, but some haven't. In retrospect, Ignore everything I said. If Line of Duty had started with Buckles reveal, I could have saved myself six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, Line of Duty starts, doesn't it, with the, the stuff with Steve and the the ter- counter-terrorist team, doesn't it? And that's, yeah, again, it like a hook you in... No, but it's like a hook you in scene. that ha- they They've got that at the start, not all... You know, like if they if every show started linearly, some shows do not have the luxury of having that scene at the start. And there will be someone there, an executive looking through the pages and going, well, you've got this exciting scene here. You haven't got that scene to hook them in, like, say, Happy Valley or Line of Duty has got. So you need to put this at the start. Good writing builds tension. Mm -hmm. That's what you need. It doesn't have to be an explosive beginning, but it has to be enough to 
you know, it has to be intelligent and mature writing that intrigues you. Just yeah, it doesn't have to be an explosion. It can just be I am intrigued yeah. enough to watch the rest of this. You know, the first advert break won't see me going to Twitter and looking at Luke's fascinating feed. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you do get that good right. But say, for example, some writing you do get people who don't introduce you to the plot straight away, and you need. Whereas, as you say, that Happy Valley thing introduced you to Catherine straight away, gave you the plot. But not all shows have that luxury. Not all dramas have that luxury. Or not all dramas are written that well. It's mm. the best way of putting yeah. it. But again, we're saying that it's not the writer. It's that executive sitting there saying, you need to put this at the start. Mm. Whether you are a writer who has got the luxury of pushing mm. back on that decision, because yeah. people don't, you know, people have to, to yeah. make Not everyone's right, Russell C. Davis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just hate it. I think it immediately dilutes the story and it says to me we think you're going to be bored with the first yeah minutes, so yeah we'll, we'll start you here remember this is coming and then you won't be bored you might be bored now but you know you know this is coming so stick with yeah. us it just really annoys me i'm running out of time guys i've got i've got a thing to do What's Sarah got to do? I'm fascinated with people who've got lives outside. Of oh, really nothing interesting. But essentially at the moment, I'm packing up my house to move in like three weeks. So a friend's coming around to help. Ooh, lay in your bubble. No comment. <laughs> the line of duty again. Um, <laughs> but just to, to quickly answer your question from earlier, Luke, um, the Pamela Anderson, Lily James thing is on Hulu. The Hulu so, show, Hulu I'm show. So yeah. looking forward to watching that. Okay. I think that every time we mention Hulu, we have to do it in that voice. Hulu, Hulu, always does. Yeah, yeah, I do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm cheered up already. We'll just give Sarah's blog some promotion. Deadpixeltest.tv. Anything good That's on right. at the moment? Um, no, just what I keep writing for you. <laughs> Fair enough. You can find that if on my Twitter. If you want to see my latest feed. things, have a look at the Custard TV blog. <laughs> Or just straight to my Twitter feed is fine. At Luke Custard TV is where you'd find it. Custard TV pod on Twitter as well. Matt's on Twitter, but he won't say anything. All my in. all my clean tweets. So <laughs> I, I get, he, I get this job. Interesting. Have you actually got the job now, or is it based on? I've got the I've a conditional offer. Oh, is it based on on not dredging anything dodgy up off the internet? Yeah, well, it's, I've got to <laughs> I've got to be vetted again. Good luck, Matt. Good luck. <laughs> We will be back soon. This has been an overlong, oversaturated, overtopped, and overrated episode of the Custom TV podcast. Bye. Overrated. Oh, <laughs> 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 Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search the Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Plus free samples and free shipping. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high quality window treatments with no showroom mockups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. 
Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday Sale. Get up to 45% off, plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.